This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash adventures in Angular. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Ward Bell. Hello, everyone. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Shai Resnick. Uh, coming to you live from 4 a.m. at Israel. 4, 4 a.m., man. No, I'm no, so sorry. 11 p.m. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Um, Angular Dev Summit is over. If you want to get notified of the next one, go to angulardevsummit.com. You can just get an attendee ticket. Uh, that's all it'll get you at this point is notified of the next one. But uh, I have some other things coming down the pike that I'll let you know about soon. We have two special guests this week. We have Paul Spears. Hello. And John, is it Bauer? Bauer, yes. Hi, everyone. Kind of like Jack Bauer, right? Yeah. Just like that. I have, uh, I'm a little cooler than he is. That's right. You you can save the world in 23 hours. Exactly. Um, do you guys want to introduce yourselves real quick? Let people know who you are, where you're from? Sure. So it's Paul Spears here. I work at a tiny company called Oasis Digital Solutions. We're based out of St. Louis, but we also do Angular Bootcamp. I'm the uh, lead curriculum author for that and I go around with the, the crew here teaching Angular to businesses, uh, public engagements, private engagements, uh, the whole nine yards there, consulting along with it, uh, kind of the, you want to learn or get better at Angular or need some help with tackling your problems in Angular, um, we get called in to help with that. Uh, I'm John Bauer, and Paul just stole most of my thunder, but I pretty much do the same thing he does. Yep, so John and I, we go out, um, oftentimes not as part of the same class, but kind of in parallel teaching Angular around the U.S. and the world. Nice. Now, I know that uh, Oasis Digital Angular Bootcamp, um, you have sort of established places where you do the bootcamps like St. Louis, for example. I think you also have one in New York and a few other uh, cities. And then you also will go out to companies and do in-person training for them if they need uh, you know, specific training on a particular topic with Angular. That's correct. Yeah, we got uh, D.C., San Francisco, Washington, D.C., London, St. Louis, um, and we're open to suggestions on kind of the next regular spot on the tour. Yep. Also, in full disclosure, Angular Bootcamp is a, a sponsor of the show, so... Um, yeah, we, we had to pay him to get on the show, but yeah, it'll be <laughs> worth it. <laughs> not true, not true. Anyway, um, so, yeah, let's, let's dive in and talk about... Um, teaching Angular. I'm curious as we get started, you know, besides kind of the established boot camps where you're teaching new people coming in, um, how much of the rest of it is helping people learn or transition to Angular versus, hey, we we want to learn kind of the the mid and upper tier of Angular knowledge? Uh, 
Well, I would say the majority of it is learning, is teaching people new to Angular. Um, a lot of people come in and they, you know, they've been dabbling with, even if they've been dabbling with Angular for a little while, um, we find that they're not always using the best practices and uh, no fault of their own. There's just, uh, Angular's a very open framework and there's a lot of ways you can build great applications with it. Um, but we've had a lot of people come in and say, yeah, we know how Angular works. We just want to dive in and learn the, the real heavy stuff. And we start teaching them the heavy stuff and they go, wait, what, what was that? What was that thing you just did? Um, and so <laughs> we, we tried splitting it into beginning and advanced courses and uh, the, what you would expect to happen happened and nobody signed up for the beginner co courses anymore. Um, so we did away with that. And we found that even working with the most experienced developers, uh, kind of starting fresh from the basics of Angular really gets them a good foundation to get going. Yeah, we really target the class for people who are already professional developers and are just looking to add this to their toolbox. Uh, but that doesn't stop people who are like, you know what, I'm looking for a career change. I've heard that I need to get me some Angular. Where can I get some Angular? And they kind of arrive in one of our public classes. Um, and that's where things get interesting. As uh, we every once in a while, you know, we'll have uh, a few students that just are trying to get their development career started. And they're just not ready for you know, jumping straight to a framework. You know, they got to get the basics of JavaScript, HTML, CSS, at least have a little bit of that sprinkled in to kind of get going. But we actually, the thing that we found most unique was actually that we got people that show up that are coming from a background of 20 years Java experience, 15 years C-sharp experience. It's the wave of developers who are now um, coming in off of the you know big server-side development stacks and now arriving in the front end. They suddenly wake up and realize, I'm a front-end developer now. I've got to figure this out. And those are the really interesting ones to teach because they come with this like vast swath of knowledge and like sh they, they had these careers that even shadow mine very easily. And yet I'm the one teaching them about these new client side front end toys, you know, if you will. And it's an interesting dynamic when that happens. I think that's interesting. I hadn't really thought of sort of the Java um, with my background, the people that I would normally talk to would say enterprise background as opposed to, you know, I, I've, I've done Ruby on Rails for 10 years. Um, and a lot of that time, it was just like doing jQuery magic on the front end. And so a lot of folks that have been doing traditional web, web development hours, seeing that frameworks are becoming, in a lot of ways, the new traditional web development. So I'm surprised you're not talking a little bit more about those folks, too. Yeah, we we get a few sprinklings of that from time to time. Uh, and that's just not what we're seeing, though. Uh, oh, wow. It's a large, overwhelming majority of students that arrive in our class are from those .NET or Java backgrounds. You know, of course, in the enterprise, but they're they're not coming from, you know, you know Ruby, Grails, you know, Python, um, anything really other than just Java .NET. We we take a survey at the beginning of every class, and it's always just overwhelming Java and .NET. Yeah, and are they are they coming to um, client side? programming in HTML and JavaScript for the first time? I mean, when, in other words, when they come from those other environments, are they used to building applications that um, are essentially rendered on the server? And first, this is their first time coming to single page apps? 
Uh, a lot of the time, yeah, this is the first time. Maybe they've dabbled in HTML, CSS a little, but we might be writing the first lines of JavaScript code they've ever done. Um, and actually, I would say that teaching Angular now to the uh, career backend developers is a lot easier than it was teaching Angular JS uh, because they just seem to uh, they seem to adapt to TypeScript much better than plain old ES5, which we used to do. So we've seen a, a big improvement in students uh, picking up the material. Yeah, I was just thinking about that this week, like uh, teaching uh, someone, uh, some of my, uh, one of my clients, uh, thinking about how similar it got, like when you learn the, the stuff you don't know coming from server background, um, you run into the same problems basically you get in Java or .NET, like the design uh, patterns or like the architecture decision. So we're so close, but uh, when you don't know what you don't know, it seems so far away. Yeah, we, we oftentimes will get into a class and we'll we'll be drumming up like uh, you know, a reactive pattern and showing how cool you know, this kind of design pattern is, or, you know, whenever we start talking things like, you know, let's talk about NGRX and kind of get a feel for how this kind of architecture might work, we'll oftentimes have a developer saying, oh, this is just like technology X, you know, in this language that's been around forever. And you're like, oh, so you, yeah, you actually do know these design patterns. It's just, they're, they're just now emerging in the front end. And so it feels new to me, but they've been doing it forever. Mm -hmm. And, and do you see uh, our, our Java and .NET background uh, programmers s pretty much similar in these respects? Um, uh, like, I mean, for example, Java, the Java developers, they like TypeScript too, right? I mean, it feels kind of familiar to them. Or do they have a harder time making that leap? Or No, I think it's, uh, it, it's pretty much the same between those two sets of programmers. Yeah. Seems to be my experience too. So when they okay, approach so, so, this, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Ward. No, go ahead, Chuck. Go ahead, Chuck. I was just curious. Um, when they approach Angular, then are they looking to back it onto a .NET or Java setup, or are they going completely to JavaScript and doing something like Express and Node.js? Yeah, the the first inclination they usually walk in with is, um, I've got to figure out how to make this .NET app use Angular, and Usually throughout the course of the three days, uh, about two and a half days in, they kind of have this moment where they go, oh, I get it. You know, I, I am not tied to technology X on the back end with what I'm learning and applying now in this class. I'm completely decoupled from that and, and kind of free to move about. So they're often coming to that understanding and realization in the class and not so much uh, arriving with, this is my architecture, I got it all figured out, now I just need to go figure out how to do the Angular parts. It's uh, pretty much a kind of a discovery process when they, they come to the class. Now, I'll, I will say that uh, that's usually very different in private versus public offerings, though. The, the private classes have a completely different feel. Most of them have gone further down the, the road of discovery and kind of figured out, okay, I'm, I understand single-page web apps and I can decouple my front end from my back end and kind of build those independently. And they've usually actually been using Angular for a while before we show up in those private engagements. So kind of two different crowds, but 
public classes, they come in, they say, I've got a Java or a .NET app. I'm using an MVC framework, and I need to figure out how to serve this Angular page. And by the time they leave, they they kind of get it, and they start to reevaluate their server stack. So, all right. So, so I, in order to talk about this, you you kind of have to say which audience that is. So, um, let's pick one. Let's pick the um, the the ones that really don't have the experience. How do you organize their encounter with single page apps? Uh, in general, and Angular in particular. Can you restate that? Okay, let me try again. So let there, let's start with the people who are coming fresh to single-page applications, right? They're coming, they're the .NET, this is your public classes. And so how do you bring them along? What What's your sort of agenda for them as you try and expose them to programming on the client in TypeScript and HTML using Angular? What's the sequence? Yeah, so that's the that's the trick, right? As answering that question. <laughs> um, uh, that's really a challenge. And we the, there's not an exact science because everyone's going to learn different. They're going to come in with different kind of, of backgrounds. But we generally approach it from, uh, we have to do a lot of level setting at the beginning and say, all right, where is everyone at in this journey? Let's start with, let's talk about single page apps. What are they? What differentiates them? And start to really try and motivate them and get them excited for this change. Because some of them aren't even necessarily looking to make the change. They don't realize that that change is even coming. They just know that their team is moving to Angular and they need to get on board. And so we actually have to start by getting that motivation and helping kind of walk through, replay some of the history of how we've arrived at single page app architecture. And then with arming everyone with that, they get excited about, okay, great, I see this. And now Angular is arriving to help provide me a, a framework for building this that I can tie those concepts, those ideas, those practices I've already learned in the back end and now apply them to Angular in this front end framework and continue to build at a higher level of, of abstraction with the better tools available to us in the client today. So it's really about motivation, in my opinion. John, you got any anything to add to that? No, I, that, that was well stated. Um, I, I really think uh, you know we. It's a big hurdle to get over, but I don't think it, it doesn't really take up that much of the class. I mean, whether they're coming in and they kind of know what a single page app is, or they never heard of it, um, that's just one small thing we need to get over. But I, I've found that. Uh, like you said, by the end of the class, whether they're coming from a jQuery background or they're coming from a .NET background, um, everybody seems to get a grasp on that pretty well. So. Okay, so so how do you? I, I, a lot of us have tried this, and the one of the first things that we run into is that the folks in the audience are drowning from all of the new technology we're throwing at them. It's the first time they've seen TypeScript. It's the first time they've seen. Node and NPM and uh, the whatever IDE you're using and uh, all these packages that suddenly show up and all this all this ceremony and stuff and and um, uh, do, how do you cope with that? And I'll bet you use the CLI, but you might as well tell people that's what you did. Yeah, I, I, I was about to join this question and ask also, you do it in three days, right? So what do you cover in three days? Like what can you cover in three days? Like Ward said, 
it's like a whole ecosystem of things. Yeah, and we we noticed that when we first started, I mean, we started doing this uh, Angular bootcamp for the, the new version of Angular when it was in, but it was still in alpha when we were yeah. teaching it. And we just tried, you know, going diving straight in and talking about ES6 and TypeScript and NPM and everything. And people just, uh, like you said, people were just overwhelmed. And so we do some hand-waving at the beginning, and we don't really talk about Node and NPM until, what, day two, maybe? Uh, and even then, we, uh, we kind of ease them into it. Um, we're, we're, we have to go over TypeScript. I mean, it, it's based around TypeScript now. But we try to ease them into that. So we come in. Uh, we're using maybe a brand new IDE, but we allow them to use whatever IDE they want to edit their code. Uh, we start going over the basics of TypeScript. And usually, uh, like I said before, this is a lot better for these people with uh, a lot of server-side backgrounds because they're used to a more object-oriented language. So we don't lose as many people there. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great point because there's like a, a trade-off. When we were teaching AngularJS, we were still teaching roughly the same uh, students with the same background. And so we would spend all of that time talking about uh, NPM and all of those things. That hasn't changed. But we were actually doing a trade-off from we spent a lot of time just explaining things like, you know, how does JavaScript behave under the hood? You know, can you explain like why that function that looks like a plain function is actually a constructor? Like what makes that a constructor? Just explaining the warts of JavaScript, we get to take that away and get to add something you know newer and niftier to it to help ease that a little bit at least. Right. I don't have to explain to uh, a .NET developer what what happens to a class when TypeScript compiles it to JavaScript and then gives it to the, and then uh, yeah serves it to the web. I can just start talking about classes and they just understand what I'm talking about and we can go into the technical parts later after we have a better understanding of uh, the framework. So do you just like not talk about like, you you know, it's the first hours or so and you, you, know, uh, you know, when they're first doing Angular, do you just like skip, you just say, hey, folks, just do what I'm doing here. Load your, uh, say NPM, install CLI and just follow along with me and I'll explain why you did all that later and try and pretend it's not there. So uh, so we we do a little bit of a, a little bit of magic actually in our class. Um, we come in with a zip file that you can download off our off our website once you kind of know the, the secret link, if you will. Um, and then you get that that download. And inside it, we've actually pre-compiled Angular and the TypeScript uh, compiler into a JavaScript file. And so, like the kit that we give them. You can actually run the whole thing without any tooling, make changes to your code base, hit save, and it will actually recompile that in the browser. Um, and we put on their big disclaimers and we have some, a little bit of opening ceremony about how this file should really be called. Please don't ever use this after we're done with this class. It is totally just a toy to get you started without tooling. .js. .js. Um, and so we, we kind of give them that kit. That way we can defer the conversations about NPM installing, CLI building, 
um, bundling, webpack, TypeScript compiling, TS configs, all of that goes away until they've actually bought in, if you will. Like they've got a chance to kind of see the wow, see the awesome. And then like, all right, I like this now. And then we jump straight to CLI, like you mentioned. Yeah, it's because that, that first hour is crucial. I mean, if you spend that first hour with 30 people on a spotty network doing NPM install Angular CLI and then an NGNU, you're going to lose a lot of people right away. They're not even going to give you a chance. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the tone pretty hard for three days. Yeah, that's I've I've been through that one. It seems um, particularly when you've got a crowded room, all hammering the Wi-Fi at the same time. Right. It, it, you really it just is it's tough. So that's a really interesting uh, approach, and I find that valuable. I bet other people who are trying to get people on board would find that valuable too. Yeah, what's what's really neat is that that also allows us to do uh, a similar thing with our online classes. We actually point them at an online IDE uh, with a within a little bitty uh, VM that it's served with, and we actually have a script that can run and automate the downloading of that script for them. So they they start off, they run a single command, it downloads our script, and then that script then unpacks the kit that doesn't require npm. And they're able to get started right away that way as well. But but still, even so, first of all, a cool magic tricks that's that's great to hear because it do save time. But still, you have the complexity of Angular itself once you get over the tooling. Like uh, even if you you do use the CLI, you still have all the hey, what's that main TS file and what the hell is, does that do? And all the process, the bootstrap process, which is kind of a um, five-step process until you get to the actual HTML part, which is easy. Um, yeah, we we approach that kind of like, you know, what was this kind of this golden rule? Like the best way to tell a story is to start in the middle and kind of walk through how you got here. Like that's kind of like all this classic trope of, of building up a story. You start in the middle, you get them interested in and engaged in how we got here. And then you go back and then from there kind of tell them those bits. And so what that translates to for this class is we say, yes, there is a main TS file. Don't worry about that. We're going to talk about the heart of what Angular is. The heart of Angular is about building these components. And so we just show them at the start some components and we show them where those files are and they can go in, they can edit those files, see those changes and they get that immediate feedback, that immediate kind of those, those positive vibes um, as they start immediately editing and changing some code and seeing that their changes propagate to the screen and they know nothing about any main TSs or, or app TS or any of the config files that might actually be sitting on disk there. We kind of just say, look right here for now, we're gonna put a box around it and we're gonna slowly expand that view as you get comfortable working from the inside out. Hmm. So you start with the uh, with the templates and stuff like that, and walk walk your way backwards. Right. Yeah. Because it's real easy to start at the components. And when asked, you know, why are we starting here? We can very easily point at words right on the Angular docs and Angular website, saying, "Look, this is a framework for building these things. This is kind of the the unit of work that we're most interested in. So this is a sensible place to start." That makes a lot of sense to me. Actually, we we tried that one. We had a version of our, uh, we being the Angular Docs, a version of the Quick Start that completely hid 
the main and all that other stuff. Uh, and just dove right in to your first Hello World component. And I really liked that. The reason we had to backtrack was because we didn't have a human voice there to right. tell them not that you can't actually do that. And so uh, people were pissed that we gave them something <laughs> that they immediately had to throw away. <laughs> but but you, you're, you're there, you know, human faces. And so you get to tell them, OK, so I kind of lied a little bit here in order to get you going. And, and so I could see why that would be effective in person. Whenever I have a new idea for an app, one of the first things I do is go find a domain name for it. The company I use and have used for years is Hover.com. Hover.com has a clean and easy-to-use interface. They don't try to upsell me on a bunch of services I don't want or need, and they provide free who is masking for the domains I register. So if I register a domain that's not directly tied to devchat.tv, people don't need to know that I'm the one that owns it. They also offer domains with all kinds of top-level domains like .codes and .computer, and others like .coffee and .pizza. So when you have your next idea strike, go to hover.com slash adventures to get it. Once again, that's hover.com slash adventures. So yeah. one, one thing that I'm curious about here is, you know, the tooling and the CLI, you're, I mean, you're talking about kind of short-circuiting that part of the learning process to just get them in and get them building something, which is totally my speed, right? I mean, the reason that I haven't made it through any Angular tutorials except for one on Angular Material is because it, it took way too long to get things together. And then they were explaining this is a component and this is a this and this is a that, you know. And, and so I just go play with it and learn it that way. And so I love that. But is the CLI and the tooling and the all, all of the other stuff there, is that where people tend to get hung up? Or is it just too much all at once at the beginning to get them going? It's really the fact that it's too much all at once at the beginning. Um, it's usually the end of the first day, beginning of the second day. We do have people go through the steps to install the Angular CLI. And then we start talking about, we don't go deep into the process of what the CLI is doing under the, scene, under the hood, but we talk about it a little bit, show them some of the configuration options, and uh, start really making use of it. Um, so we don't completely ignore it. We just put it off until... Uh, like Paul said before, they're bought in. Well, there's also some homework. You know, whenever a student signs up for the class, they get something from us saying, hey, you know, we're going to walk in here and we're going to end up needing to install NPM and we're going to install a CLI. So we actually send out a little bit of a, of a prep sheet that they can go through. Um, and as we've been teaching this class over time, we're finding it, uh, students are arriving more and more ready. And, and I think that's just due to the nature of uh, the, the adoption of NPM in general, mm -hmm. and the ability to like go and grab node packages. And corporations specifically are starting to kind of loosen the reins and loosen the grip on this idea that NPM is bad and we can't just install things off the internet like that. Um, their companies are getting more okay with that. So, so their employees are arriving at our class mostly with NPM installed anymore. And they. I was going to ask what what are like the ratios of students being prepared versus not when in the beginning was it really low and now it's like 80% or something? Oh, hey, Elisa. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Um, uh, yeah, well, it definitely started at zero because we didn't send out that homework. Um, I'd say <laughs> it was closer to a 90% now. I mean, it at, at minimum. Um, it, it's gotten really good. Yeah, um, that's yeah. that's just eased a lot of pain, and it's freed up a lot of time 
to teach when you're teaching three days, eight hours a day. I mean, if you look at it, that's I can't do four hours. Twenty four hours. <laughs> Math I is hard. But uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you got twenty four hours there. If you lose two of those hours to set up, that's a that's a big chunk. Yeah. So getting those two hours back has uh, really uh, increased what we can talk about in three days. So one of the things that I know many of us have struggled with um, is ng module. It seems to it just just doesn't. We've I, I at least I've tried to teach it or talk about it a number of times, and I and everybody, including people who really know what they're doing, um, struggle with it. So what uh, do you have any secret uh, sauce for getting that idea across? Um. That one's, there's no way to slice and dice that that we've found that makes it a home run uh, to teach. Uh, The best I have with it is whenever I come at it from starting from the angle of explaining and motivating the need for lazy loading, and then I walk back from there. That's kind of my spin on it, the take I try and take to get them there, to kind of motivate them to want such a layer of uh, modularity. And then it kind of it's hit or miss from there how well that takes and how well that clicks uh, because uh, the students will keep coming back so can you explain again you know module versus component versus ts module they still want to conflate those ideas and some of these topics it just takes time to sit and stew in those ideas before it clicks so you start with a single app root module at the beginning and just say hey look to keep Angular happy, you got to throw your, your your declarations in here, and we'll get back to this later. Is that kind of how you approach it? Because in order to get two components, you know, in order to get your first component beyond app component, you got to do it. Or maybe you just let the CLI hide the whole thing. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so we we tackled the app module. Um, we actually have kind of like this numbered curriculum that we we walk through while they're building, um, and we ta- we actually intentionally defer so kind of like going back to starting in the middle that's part of the story that we skip in the beginning we actually defer opening up that module file until exactly what you said like all right we've now played with one component and seen what we can do with one component now we have two so now that we have two how do we get this template to to understand where these components come from and then we open up our app module and we kind of slot that in there and say ah now we have a way of, of informing Angular about a collection of components that we want to make available. And we let that kind of take off and, and go from there. And that usually they, they kind of they take take that well until we get to talking about more than one module. Yeah. Yeah. So you just sort of say, hey, this is the registry. You got to tell Angular here. Just go put it there. <laughs> and, and if I need a service that's everywhere, hey, you know, you want it to eh, just stick it right in there. Is that kind of the way you, you let it happen? Uh, no, I mean, we, we do more justice to the module system fairly early on. We, when we teach routing, we actually start right out of the gate with uh, lazy loaded routing as kind of the default. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has its own kind of hiccups teaching, but it's one of those things that we felt would be a better way. Because if you teach them the simple version of routing, they're just going to turn their nose up at seeing, you know, the, the more justifiably more complex syntax for lazy loading and never commit to learning it while we're there to help them. And so we kind of start with, here's how you route. 
And so we kind of dive right into needing to understand the module system to understand routing. And so we they get a lot of meat around the module system. Uh, and then that naturally motivates why we're putting our services in one place versus another, why we're putting our components in one versus the other, et cetera. Yeah, I think we've actually started hitting that pretty hard early on. Uh, like I said, we've got numbered steps at the beginning, and I think it's like three or four, we introduce our second component, and then right after that, we introduce our, you know, adding another module and driving the point that, hey, you have to do this if you want to take advantage of lazy loading. And the very next step is then showing them how to do lazy loading so they don't forget that concept. Um, so I think organizing it in that way has helped students kind of be okay with those modules a little earlier on. Earlier in the show, you mentioned some best practices that people tend not to follow when you show up to people that there are companies that are already using Angular. Is this one of those things or are there other things? Um, I, I would say one of the things is, yeah, dumping everything in one module. Um, uh, another one is not dividing up components very granularly. And so they'll have components on the screen, but those components may be several, the, the component classes may be several hundred lines long. And, uh, <laughs> that's a feature. <laughs> Yeah. Was somebody uh, gurgling just now? That was me laughing. <laughs> yeah, that was Ward remembering. So let's, let's be clear. That's let's be clear. That's not you laughing at them. Like that's you laughing at yourself at some point, right? Because <laughs> we've all been there. Let's be honest. Yeah. Well, I would never admit to that. <laughs> <laughs> and you like Star Wars, also? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I was also laughing at you having. One, uh, you know, going right to lazy module, multiple modules, because Joe here used to several shows ago opine that um, you should have one and only one module. I wonder if he still feels that way, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, are you still no. doing it wrong? <laughs> yeah, he's still uh, he's still taking uh, the code of silence on that one. I, I actually so, don't disagree with Joe on this. I feel that the one module thing is good for a while. And I can do a lot of routing without lazy. So that's why I'm curious that you guys get to lazy routing. Uh, so that's uh, what sounds like fairly early in the teaching. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying I was afraid to go that way. I think there is a. I think there is another good reason to split stuff into modules so um i actually um struggled with all that stuff uh preparing i i did a lecture in poland called the legend of ng models which explain <laughs> about <laughs> explain about the modules and how brad green is the the king of angular but besides that uh so I, actually i i i um i thought hard about it and and figure out that even when you get to a certain point where you have more than, I don't know, 10 components or even sometimes less, but when you get to a certain point, we have lots of services or components. That's a good way to split up the, um, the configuration of like setting it all, all up in one big module because your module can get up to like lots of lines and then you try to to figure out what's in there and is it cohesive enough and all that stuff so that's also a good excuse i think to maybe teach about 
oh, now we need another module to maybe uh, spread our stuff like more evenly or make, keep things shorter. Yeah, and that's there's something that like I've been pushing really hard to try and make sure that uh, we're holding all of our instructors to is that we oftentimes get into this pattern of assuming that our view of the world and the shapes of the problems that we're solving are the same as all of our students. And that's something that's really important to try and remember walking into these classes is that you don't know what kind of problem they're trying to solve. And what you might be selling could be the wrong thing for the kind of app they're building. Uh, the, the strongest kind of divider of this is, are you building an application or are you building a library for your your company to consume? Like the way you build those looks very different. Um, and what features of Angular you take advantage of will look very different. And so like the module thing, we go down the route of lazy loading, but it's kind of the motivating example that we provide when we teaching, teach it is, here is a standard enterprise application that has you know three features, if you will. And those three features are clearly divided along these boundaries. And so modules are a perfect fit. You know, if we go into a company where they're actually building a mobile application and it might have five screens, but those five screens like are all going to get used frequently together, yeah, use one module. That makes complete sense for that scenario. You know, or if you're making a library and it's just a collection of widgets that you want to import once and use. Yeah, one module is great for that scenario. So uh, it's, you know, you can't get it all right because the scenarios are so wildly different. And I think it goes back a little to what Ward was talking about earlier. And it's something that's a lot easier to do in person than to write down in a doc in documentation right. somewhere. Because, you know, we can tell you this is how you do it. Well, unless, and then kind of speak to you know, what you're actually working with. <clears throat> yeah, makes sense. And also, I think modules get much more complex when you go into that, okay, now you need to lazy load. Now you need to be aware not to um, add any providers to your shared module and all that stuff. So that that's where things get a little bit, I think, um, edgy <laughs> or yeah, yeah they get really uh, they get really ugly there yeah uh, uh so um what about some other time like i'll bet with the, the heritage of the people you're talking about the net and the javascript people they don't have any problem with dependency injection that's my guess is that true for the most part uh, yeah I'm, I'm trying to remember the last time i actually had the like Given in-depth explanation of dependency injection, yeah, that, that's pretty well understood in the industry. Uh, and even for those that are who are taking the course as kind of a crash course in development along the way, which we don't recommend, by the way, but <laughs> there are those that do. Um, even they kind of get the idea fairly easy. Uh, they they kind of get on board real quick with understanding. Oh, this is just a way to request a thing. You you kind of put it in that abstract form of this is just how I ask for it. Um, and they get the majority of the use cases there. And then when it comes to kind of you know, intercepting it with providers and things like that, they might struggle with it a bit more, but for the most part, the majority of the class, they can sail on through with just a basic understanding. It's not an entirely idle question because I noticed that some other frameworks, um, popular frameworks don't, a really popular other framework doesn't have DI. And I've heard some people wonder whether DI really belongs 
on a client side framework. And I, 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 I struggle to imagine not having it, what life without it would be like. Um, so I was just wondering whether I'm just so completely, I, I, I guess your audience is used to it or takes to it and understands it well. So it's not a stumbling block for them, but it sure is a stumbling block for people who are trying other, um, alternatives to Angular. Yeah. I just, I've, I've not really encountered that. Uh, interestingly enough, it's, a uh, something I'll, I'll keep a lookout for because it's just been a kind of a sail through kind of topic in our classes. Yeah, I agree. What so, about observables in RxJS? How do you tiptoe around that one? Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> oh, yeah, <I> <laughs> no. That's where we dive into <laughs> Oh, you said the R word. I did say the R word uh, and the X word and the J word. And, um, you know, it's a top. You know, I, I, God, some. All right. It's another three so, days of boot camp. So, Ward, I was really, really hoping that you'd be a panelist for this one. <laughs> Because we, we've talked at length at NGConf with, uh, with you and Kyle, another one of the instructors here, about you know, the differences between you know, reactive programming versus not. And, and you know, it's kind of looking at those trade-offs. And so I was, I was hoping that this would come up. But no, we actually, we, we head into it head first. Um, I, when we work on the curriculum's overall form, I kind of think of it as you know, a race to prepping them to be able to then, if they so choose, add some sort of centralized state management that takes advantage of observables. And then they can start researching things like NGRX and Redux if they wanted to add that after the fact. We don't make it a you know a, a required kind of thing, but we certainly set them up to be able to succeed if that's the route they choose to go. Yeah. That being said, how, how well that takes uh, in a single session is not going to be like, 100%, you know, comprehension and recall. It's very, very low comprehension and recall because for most of them, it is the first time they're seeing this idea of an observable. And so we've got to start with what's an observable. And, you know, fortunately, Angular has those plug points such as HTTP requests, the route parameters that just expose them and give this give us this natural playground to start with and start building from there. Yeah, I think tiptoeing around them is how you get in trouble and get people scared of them. Uh, like Paul said, we race to get there as fast as we can so we can spend as much time just driving the concept in. Uh, so at the end of the class, they have no choice but to be like, I, I can at least understand this. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I am taking a, I'm about to talk about RxJS in Angular a couple of times. And I'm taking a novel approach in which I try and say as little as possible about them uh, uh, during, you know, sort of like, here's RxJS and you heard about this observable. And uh, so let's let's see how far we can go using Angular without actually knowing anything about them and then slowly dropping one little thought in at a time. So it'll be interesting to see how these things come out. Um, <laughs> yeah, obviously I'm, you're 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 I'm taking like a you. polar opposite of the view, and I'm 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 curious about how this is going to come out. Well, and I'll I'll tell you this. You know, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about kind of knowing the audience and knowing that there are many different kind of apps out there. You know, we, we have to pick. You know, we got three days. We've got to pick one kind of app to frame the lessons in. You know, like one category, and the category that we pick is what we know best. You know, we do enterprise development. And we do screens that have many kinds of complex interactions with asynchronous data and, and asynchronous 
inputs flowing all over the place. And so that's where we're at home. And that's where um, we, that is the market that we kind of uh, advertise to trying to get traffic in the door as to those mm. same kind of developers. So that's where we feel is the right fit to put something like NGRX into play, if at all, is within the, that category of app. And so that's kind of the path we take uh, through the, the learning of Angular, of course, being able to call out to other examples as needed, depending on the class. I, I have another important question, uh, just really quickly. Uh-huh. Uh, before we get into picks, did did someone ever bite you during one of the boot camps? <laughs> so it was a close call. It was a bit of a shave there. Uh, this was actually back in Angular JS. I was teaching a class, and it was a room full of people. It was one of our largest in-person classes that we've ever done. And I was explaining how the scope works. So this is back like one three Angular one three. And so you still had to understand the behavior of how dollar scope worked and what it was and what it actually meant to put a nested component in it and access scope. So I was deep in an explanation of that. And I'm simply explaining how scope is an object that you know inherits from a parent object in JavaScript and kind of walking through the natural process. And a student raises his hand you know, and he asks for clarification. And I state it again. And out of nowhere, he just blurts out, that is stupid. And he just starts ranting at length about how this is the stupidest thing he has ever heard. And he's you know, aiming these, these kind of you know, statements at me as if I'm the one that's like shooting his dog or something. It's like some sort of grievous offense I've, I've made against him. And it like got so bad that everyone in the room, like these were his coworkers, they're like trying to calm him down and, and tell him like, come back to reality. And, and it's just like, at the end of the day, I'm like, look, I'm sorry. Like, I, I didn't mean to be the bearer of bad news. I'm just telling you how JavaScript works. And he's like, that's not how JavaScript works. This is just stupid. I love JavaScript. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but you apparently didn't use it enough to, to get to that point yet. And we kind of left it at that and had to move on. But it was just really weird just having a student yell at me for like the way a thing behaved. I, I'd never experienced that before. So yeah, that was, that was a fun Thank class. you. Thank you for the elaborated <laughs> answer. I, I was like, Talking about physically, like somebody biting your hand while you're trying to, to show him something. But but sorry, Chuck, it was supposed to be like a really quick, silly question and a really quick, silly well, answer. Of hey, no. it's, it's fine. Well, here, Shai, I'll have I'll have you know I taught Mike Tyson Angular and uh, <laughs> I lost an ear to that. Yeah, right on the ear. Right on yeah. the ear. Um, because... I had I had one more just like that. You guys teach any testing in these three days? <laughs> it's in our curriculum. All right, there you go. We're running out of time. Yeah. Yeah. Fix. How about fix? All right. Yeah, I, I let the folks know that it's I'm going to be a few minutes late, so we we have time for picks. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. You can replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files and having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. It has full support for JavaScript and all other major languages and platforms. It takes less than 10 minutes to set up, and you can get a free 14-day trial by going to raygun.com and signing up today. No, it's all good. Let's let's make Shai go first. Shai, you have some picks for us? Yeah, okay. So I have, I have three quick picks. Um, uh, there's a really good blog and a new blog called Angular in Depth. Uh, which is by Maxim Koretsky. 
uh, Ukrainian guy, um, which is like a medium publication, and he goes very deep into Angular. So really fun to read. So I recommend that. I also have another thing, which is the Angular Performance Checklist by Minko uh, Gechev. Uh, he released it on as a GitHub uh, page, which is kind of cool if you want to, if you have performance issues. And I'll mention that the course that I talked about like like two, three months ago is actually released and it's totally free and it's called Angular Basics 1 uh, by HiRes.io, my website. And uh, it's really, really cool and funny and, and teach try to teach you like the fastest way possible all the weird things we're just was we're talking about so uh that's it that those are my picks nice miko gave a talk about the angular performance checklist at angular dev summit so uh if you're interested in that um i guess talk to me and we'll figure something out um ward what are your picks i am going to save my picks for another show because we have lots we've really used up a lot of time here so next time all right Alyssa, what are your picks I just have one pick. It's an atom package built by a dude named Joel Bezida, I think is how you say it. And it's called Active Power Mode. It like kind of does these like combos as you keep typing code and it like encourages you to like basically type more code at one time instead of like, I don't know, getting distracted. And so it's actually been hilariously fun. And after you get so many combos in a row, it like starts like shaking your screen and like there's like little fireworks pistol like pixels that go off it's hilarious so yeah give it a try it's a lot of fun it's called active power mode all right joe what are your picks uh, i just got one pick tv show better off ted it's an older show it's totally awesome I was recently watching it great show there you go that's my pick nice um i'm gonna throw just one quick pick out um i've talked about the keto diet that i've been doing on the show uh, it's been helping me get my diabetes under control and things like that. Um, a friend of mine's doing the same diet, and I went over to his house the other day just to kind of hang out and chat. And uh, his wife makes uh, keto-friendly cheesecake, and it was awesome. So uh, I'll find the recipe and put a link in the show notes. Um, but yeah, uh, low-carb cheesecake, and it tastes really good. Uh, Paul, what are your picks? Yeah, so I got a couple. Um, Stencil JS is my first pick. It's this uh, really neat emerging li library framework for um, making reusable web components. It's uh, built with TypeScript, and so it's yeah, typed all the way through. You just run a build command, and your component comes out the other end. Really cool. You should check it out. Uh, the other one is a, an, a site I made called Angular Performance Playground. Uh, it kind of takes those ideas that uh, actually Minko talks about in, in his performance checklist uh, I also have a similar talk that I had given, but it, it used those kinds of ideas to build a highly performant, neat visual application that you can play around with, uh, turn some knobs and see how it performs. And then, uh, yeah, that was it. Thanks. All right, John, what are your picks? Uh, I'm going to go with a non-techie pick. Uh, I'm actually kind of a board game enthusiast. And so my first pick is that if you haven't played any modern board games, you start to uh, get into them because... It's an emerging scene that's uh, a lot of fun. And uh, once you get into it, uh, I've been playing a lot of a game called Terraforming Mars. It is what it sounds like. You're cultivating the planet of Mars to be inhabited by society. And uh, a lot of fun. So that's my pick. 
Nice. Yeah, Joe and I used to get together every month with a bunch of other yeah, local awesome. devs to play board games. That's fun. Yep. And that game is that's a great game, by the way. Love it. All right. Well, if if people want to learn more about Angular Bootcamp, which as we said is a three day thing and not a three month thing, um where where do they go? What do they do? AngularBootcamp.com. There's all kinds of information on there, uh, upcoming dates, where you can inquire to buy individual tickets or tickets for your company. And it's got all the information you'll need. All right. And then for each of you, if people want to see what you're working on individually or uh, things like that, talks or whatever, generally I'm looking for like Twitter, GitHub, anywhere else you tend to post or a blog. Yep. So my Twitter is at DPS3. Got that in the chat for you. And then my GitHub is slash DPS3 as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, my Twitter is at John R. Bauer. And uh, I believe my GitHub is the same. I just log in automatically now. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, thank you for coming. This was a really interesting, just deep dive into yeah, thanks. where people are coming from and how they're getting there. So, yeah, we'll wrap yeah. it up and we'll catch you all next week. All right, cool. Thanks for having us. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.